Welcome to the Budget-Minded Traveler Podcast, your source for the tips and tactics that will inspire and equip you to travel the world. And the best part? It won't break your bank. And now, the Budget-Minded Traveler herself and your host, Jackie LaLainen. Hey, everyone. We're back again with episode 49 of the Budget Minded Traveler podcast. This is actually something we haven't done in a while, but I'm going to do another Ask Jackie session today. And these are, it's basically just a series within the podcast of questions that you guys ask, whether um, whether you're listeners or readers of the blog a lot of you will email me with great travel questions that I don't want to just answer to one person. I think a lot of people should hear. And so I like to create these episodes to just kind of answer a whole bunch of questions at once. So they're going to be, it's going to be very random kind of, but hopefully with some good information for you today. This is the third session. Um, and on that note, if you have questions, you can email me through the contact page on my blog, thebudgetmindedtraveler.com slash contact. And I might add them to the next Ask Jackie section. And there's also a possibility that I'll add it to my, that I'll, that I'll feature your question in my new FAQ series, Frequently Asked Questions series that I've just introduced on the blog where I just answer one reader question at a time. And also in the meantime... I highly recommend that you take your questions to the Facebook group. So go to thebudgetmindedtraveler.com slash community, and that'll take you straight to the Facebook group. It's not secret or anything. Everyone's welcome welcome to join. There are already over 300 people, 350 people in there who are uh, ready and willing to help out and just talk with each other constantly about travel plans and questions and all that. So shout out to you who are already in there. It's like a party, like a travel party online, it feels like. So come and join and um, ask your questions there for sure. And anyway, we'll get through several of these questions today. I think I have about 10 of them. And there's also something a little bit different about this episode that I'm going to do after these questions are answered. So stick around for that. And thank you to those of you who took the time to email me and say hi. And those of you who want to talk travel with me because I want to talk travel with you. So here we go. First one is from Joanna. She says, Hey there, my husband and I are going to be living in Madrid for six weeks in mid June, mid June, July for a study abroad program for school teachers. We travel every summer, but are used to traveling in developing countries where travel is much cheaper. I'm feeling a little intimidated at the cost of travel in Spain and Portugal. Have you found some great tricks and tips to make your euros stretch in these regions? Um, and my answer to Joanna was, and is again, <laughs> the best thing about this right now is the timing because the Euro and the dollar are just about as close as they've been, um, in value in a lot of years. And so the last I checked, it was probably one twelve to the Euro, um, which is amazing. Really, really good. So first of all, it's not as expensive anyway. It's not as expensive as you think. Um, and secondly, I actually just returned from Spain and Portugal and they are two of the cheapest countries in Western Europe. So that's also just an exciting thing to look forward to. I know that it's already, uh, it's already August at this point. And so she, uh, she's already there, but if you're planning to go to Spain or Portugal at any time soon, uh, just keep in mind that those are some of the cheaper destinations in Western Europe, especially Portugal. I was amazed at how, how inexpensive things were. I mean, it's a kind of country where you can get a meal for five euros, which is surprising in Europe. 
in some places. So, and as far as making your pennies stretch, I do have an awesome resource on the blog that I'm going to share. It's called 21 budget travel tips that will save you money on the road. And I wrote it specifically with traveling in mind, meaning not saving for a trip, but actually traveling, actually being on a trip. So that you can find at thebudgetmindedtraveler.com slash save me money. I made that one for you guys today. All right, moving on to the next one. Thank you, Joanna, for that question. The next one's from Blaine. He says, hello, I'm enjoying your podcast and book I recently purchased. Thank you, Blaine, so much for that. Which brings me to a question. I am traveling to Western Samoa, New Zealand, and Australia in January 2016. When should I get serious about researching airfares And what would you think my no later than purchase date would be? My dates aren't firm yet, but I've been doing some trial runs and the fares are all over the place if I can even get some as some sites say the schedule is not available. Thank you. All right, Blaine. First of all, once you know what your dates are, it doesn't hurt to look. A lot of airlines aren't going to have, I think that the number is like 300 300 days or 333 days or something like that, that they schedule, they only schedule out so far. So basically, if you know exactly, you know, you're going to be leaving on this specific date, go ahead and start looking just because it'll give you an idea of what's out there. But don't look seriously, just start looking for uh, just just to get an idea. So I would say you could seriously start looking about six months out. And that's still kind of just researching. Definitely use Google Flights. That's my favorite one these days. Um, And just start monitoring the prices so you can get an idea of what a good deal is. And then definitely plan to have your ticket no later than three weeks out. You don't want to cross that 21-day mark. Um, But that actually gives you a huge window. And, you know, there's really no science to getting flights, just kind of some strategy. And so don't forget, I have all of my favorite secrets to uh, finding cheap flights in episode 11 of this podcast. So you can find that at thebudgetmindedtraveler.com slash 11 for all of those tips. All right. Next one is from Melissa. She says, my husband is driving down to New Mexico with his mom this weekend and flying back on Wednesday. So a one-way ticket. Is there ever any advantage to waiting until the day before or the day of to buy a ticket? The price is super high right now. So we just wondered if there's any way to save money. This is a great question, but I don't have a great answer for you. Unfortunately, from my experience, I would say that at this point, there isn't anything he can do except possibly get his ticket through Hotwire. Um, I don't know if you guys have tried Hotwire before, but the way that they they have some of these, they're kind of like, uh, they're they're almost hidden. They like black out all the information, but they'll show you certain details about the flight. For example, you're going to arrive, you know, leave and arrive within the same day. You're not going to have more than a three hour layover or a six hour, like it's different all the time, but basically they kind of give you an idea of the structure of your day, but they don't give you any details. You don't know who you're flying with. You don't know the times you're leaving any of that, but sometimes those deals can be half the price of other flights. And I have done that before. And it was amazing. We had, um, we were actually flying to a funeral. So, you know, that that's always last minute because you can't plan these things. And it, it would have cost my family a thousand dollars per ticket to get to the East coast where we had to be. And I got us all flights on Hotwire for about four fifty each. And so literally it was cut in half. And we did have to take that risk of 
not knowing exactly when the flight would be, but it, it actually turned out to be a great flight. It was a, it was a great flight. I mean, from being, you guys know, I'm from Bozeman, which is a small town in Montana. We have a small airport and I mean, it was, it was quick. I didn't have any long layovers. Everything just worked out great and we saved a ton of money. So try Hotwire. If you're not comfortable with that, you know, just the best you can do is use Google flights to kind of make sure you're getting the cheapest deal. And also a side note, I actually just had a friend of mine who found a good deal on a one-way flight and it's only two weeks out on student universe, which I think is really random. I haven't heard of that in a long time, but apparently it's still around and apparently it has some good deals every now and then. So that may be a good option to check as well, but I hope that helps. I know that last minute is, is a hard one. All right. Next one is from Kayleen. She says, Hey there, I just stumbled on your website and it's amazing. Thank you, Kayleen. As a female traveler, I have the hardest time packing light and being resourceful about money. All of your posts have been so helpful. Thank you again. I do have one question though. My boyfriend and I are going to be taking a month long trip to Europe between July and August. And we are flying with wow air, which is a low cost carrier. And we were only given 25 pounds for our carry-on luggage. If we wanted to check a bag, it would be an additional $75 each. I know how that goes. That's ouch, terrible. Um, so my question to you is, is it possible to pack for a month with only being able to carry 25 pounds of luggage? And my answer is absolutely. When I go traveling for, I mean, I think this last well, couple trips ago when I was gone for a month with my carry-on, I weighed it once and I think it was 22 pounds and that was fully packed. My pack always seems to weigh right around 22 pounds. I think it's probably because I bring all the same things all the time, but I just want to use that to say, yes, you can do it. Um, and just remember that if you pack for about a week with a lot of versatile outfits, you should be just fine. And you can always buy something if you absolutely need it. So don't pack your pack all the way full, you know, and, and you should be good to go. And you can always weigh yourself with your pack on to see how much it's going to weigh and maybe distribute some of that weight, but it's definitely possible. You can do it. Okay. The next one is from Justin and Justin says, Hey Jackie, big fan of the podcast. Can't wait for them to come back, but totally understand. Thank you for saying that, Justin. I appreciate it. <laughs> Moving on. He says, I bought a flight to Austin on Allegiant. Sadly, due to the major flooding, it was best I cancel to get to the point. All their flights are non-refundable. Can you explain one time you had to modify plans and the best options? It all worked out well. I, I will be seeing Mount Rushmore and a historical site in South Dakota and Wyoming. So to answer that, actually, I am all too familiar with having a canceled flight on Allegiant. It has happened to me before, but it was their fault, not mine. Um, and we ended up had, having to stay overnight at a hotel and not being flown out till the next morning. And I actually wrote a blog post about that. I'll link to it on the show notes page. And it ended up okay, but it, it was unfortunate because I was on my way to a conference and I ended up missing the morning session. And so, you know, sometimes you take a loss and it is really unfortunate. But you asked if I could explain one time I had to modify plans and the best options. I am going to direct you to a blog post on this one for anyone who wants to read it. You've probably heard me talk about this before, but I once ran into a huge issue with flying between countries when I was in South America, when I was trying to get out of Brazil. And it's a long story. 
it's kind of a fun read. So I'm going to link to it on the podcast or on the show notes page. It's called death trains, yellow fever and red flags. And it's my story about how I basically was trying to get out of Brazil to go to Bolivia and on to Peru. And I ended up in Hawaii. So if you want to know what that story is all about, I put all the details in there about what I had to change and what I had to, you know, modify and what I lost and what I got back. And so it's just a a long one. So I'm not going to tell that story here, but that is on the blog and I will link to it on the show notes page for you. So great, great question from Justin. The next one is from Jennifer. She says, my daughter is off to Amsterdam to study for a year and needs to buy a backpack. I know you are the queen of backpacks. What would you recommend? Thank you, Jennifer, for that distinction. (laughs) So I have a video about how to choose the perfect travel backpack. And I'm sure many of you have seen it, but I'm also sure that a lot of you are just podcast listeners who don't necessarily read my blog or watch my YouTube videos. And so I wanted to bring this up. I included this question specifically because that video is a great, really great resource for figuring out exactly what you should get in a backpack with four really simple basically criteria that that you should be paying attention to and what you should look at and, you know, things like that. Um, And this is obviously from having learned from experience. So I would highly recommend that you watch it. I refer a lot in the video to REI, which is an American company. She, Jennifer specifically is Canadian. And so for those of you Canadians out here, um, you don't have REI, but I know you have MEC or MEC, which is an awesome company. It's very similar to REI. And so you can treat it the same, you know, go into your local MEC or whatever you, MEC, whatever you call it. But The video will explain everything you need to know for that. I will say I recommend sticking with a 50 liter or smaller and that way you can fit it as a carry on, especially so this in this specific case, Jennifer's daughter is going to be moving overseas. And I would say I'm I'm going to assume she's also going to bring a suitcase for most of her stuff and a 50 or smaller backpack would be perfect because it's going to be a good size for all of those weekend trips that she's bound to do. So anyway, you can find the video at thebudgetmindedtraveler.com slash backpack. That's an easy one to remember. Thanks for the question, Jennifer. All right, moving on. We have a question from Sarah. Sarah says, hello, I was hoping for some general lodging and booking advice. I took my first big trip last year solo to Scotland and Spain, and I planned everything from all my transportation to the places I would stay to the point where I can cancel bookings when I decide spontaneously to check out another city and change my plans. I'm now planning a trip to Peru in September with my boyfriend. My question is, how much do I book? (laughs) I have the main tickets and the trek we want booked and pretty much the first half from Lima to Cusco, but I'm hesitant to book for the second half. We only have a tentative plan of making it from Cusco to Arequipa the last week, and I'm not sure if I should book a hostel there or just fly by the seat of our pants. What about the bus ticket from Cusco to Arequipa? What if it's all booked up or there are no hostels or beds when we get there? Can you tell I'm a planner? What do you think? Thank you. I love your blog. (laughs) Thank you for that question, Sarah. And I, I read the whole thing because I think there are so many people out there thinking exactly the same thing as you with exactly the same amount of questions. And so my answer would be don't book for the second half because 
you'll be there just enough in the off season that you shouldn't have trouble finding buses or hostels or any of that. There should be plenty of space. You will always be able to find a place to stay there. There's also in Cusco, a plethora of tour offices around the main square. And so any one of those can help you get to Arequipa. We, when we were there, we did it in an overnight bus And the one thing that I would recommend if you do that is pay for first class. And I know we're budget travelers, but you guys listen to me on this one. Pay for first class. (laughs) Don't think twice about it. It's worth it. And I know that because we didn't pay for first class (laughs) on our way to Arequipa. And then we were there for a couple of days and we took another overnight bus down to uh, Ica, I think. And um, we paid for the first class on that one. And it was Oh my gosh, so much better. Just so much better. And it was maybe $20 more. I mean, when it's a matter of comfort and cleanliness and food and sleep and air, it's worth it. So just do that. Also, be really careful when you take taxis from those bus stations. Just make sure that they're legit when you arrive. And, you know, ask anyone within the bus station if you don't feel that, that, you know, this might be a real taxi. There are a lot of those in Peru. So just be careful. That's all I'm going to say. And then as far as booking, I would recommend getting the booking.com app on your phone, find some Wi-Fi, and use that to find places to stay, even last minute. Um, last minute is great because they often have deals last minute and that always works. Uh, and don't forget that not every hotel and hostel is going to be online. Okay. So if, if it looks for any reason, like everything is sold out online, don't freak out, just get there and just, just start walking. You know, you're going to see so many places that aren't online. So don't worry about that. And I, I will say it may be hard for you not to plan everything, but give it a try because you're going to realize just how resourceful you are. And you're, and you know, you don't, you really don't need to stress if you end up changing your plan because these things happen. So try not to be a planner and see how it goes. (laughs) All right. And uh, this is going to be the last question from Stephanie. She says, I'm a college graduate who now has a nine to five day job, but I'm already missing the good times on my graduation trip. Do you have any advice for someone like me who has difficulty incorporating travel into my current lifestyle as I only have 10 days of annual leave? And this is a great question. I actually featured this recently in my FAQ series, Frequently Asked Questions series on the blog. My answer to this is, yes, I do have advice for you. (laughs) The first thing I would say is, and this is going to be kind of a challenge, but make sure you're in the right job, first of all. And this is just kind of the way that I think. But if travel is important to you, but your job only lets you have two weeks off every year, then you might consider a change. You need to just figure out what's really important to you in the long run. You can also try asking for time off without pay or ask for a leave of absence. Um, I have a friend who has a nine to five job and every year she travels for at least a month, sometimes anywhere between four to eight weeks she'll travel. And a lot of this is without pay, but it's because travel is so important to her that she will just take the time off and her job values her. And so, you know, they respect that and it works out. So you, you really don't have a whole lot to lose if, uh, if you just ask, you know, just see what they might say. And if they don't allow that, 
I wouldn't take that lightly. That's when you need to really consider where you are and kind of check in with your priorities and make sure that that job is really where you want to be. The travel bug is relentless. So this is not going to get easier. I would recommend, I have an episode on this podcast, number 29, which is an episode, an interview with Julie Smith, who is currently living in London, but she's American. She still has her corporate America job. And she gives advice about how anyone could go about taking their job overseas. I guess you do have to kind of be in the right situation for it. But if you do decide to quit your job, there are avenues you can take to kind of get one that might end up taking you overseas. And there are also lots of ways that you can travel and work overseas. And I'm going to list all of these on the show notes page because I have a bunch of links for you here. But also on the podcast, episode five is about work away, which is, it is volunteering. So you're not getting paid for it, but you, it's an exchange with, of room and board. And so you're not paying for room and board while, well, partial board, usually that always varies, but while you're volunteering somewhere, you're not paying for it. There is an episode about finding jobs abroad with one of my good friends, Cody, who travels and basically she follows jobs overseas. And so she'll just go on to the next one. And so she kind of gives all of her expertise about finding jobs overseas. And I have a couple more about getting a working holiday visa in New Zealand and volunteering and working abroad and what it's like to do work away and stuff like that. So I'm going to list all of those for you on the show notes page. And then I know that those were kind of two avenues about, you know, quitting your job and traveling or um, taking your job overseas. But if you really can't take the time off or change your job, then you really just need to make the absolute most of your weekends and your weeks of vacation. And this is totally possible. In episode 35, I I interviewed um, Paula Froelich, who's the editor-in-chief of Yahoo Travel. And she said it perfectly. She said, you could even just go an hour away. All you need to do is get out of the familiar. So whatever you do, just make sure you're, you're taking care of yourself with your decision, you know, checking with your priorities. And if travel turns out to be more important than your job, then find a way to make it happen. And, you know, if your job is really important to you, then find a way to just kind of work around it, but make it happen, you know, use those weekends and make those plans and follow through with them because you're going to feel so much better if you're, if you're continuing to make these memories and have these adventures, even if it's, you know, close to home. So I hope that's semi encouraging for you to, uh, you know, go ahead and just do it anyway. Just make it happen. If it's important to you, that's the most important thing. Wow, I am realizing how fast I talk because I am nearly out of breath sitting here talking to myself right now. Um, I hope you guys have been able to keep up with this okay, and I'm sorry if I talk really fast. That is it for the questions that I have answers to at the moment, but like I said, I'm gonna try something new with this episode, and that's where this is coming in. I wanted to see if maybe we can get a few more questions answered that I actually don't have the answers to. I often get emails with great questions about travel that I can't answer because I just don't know. I just don't know the answer, but I want to try and help you guys with these questions. So here's my idea. I'm going to go ahead and ask them here. And if any of you guys listening can help contribute to the answer or know someone who might know the answer, head on over to the Facebook community and answer it there and share what you think. That would be amazing. And again, you can find that at the budgetmindedtraveler.com slash community. That'll take you straight to the Facebook page. All right. So here we go with a couple of these 
questions. The first one is from Manny. He says, I was wondering if at some point in the future you'd consider doing an episode on traveling with musical instruments, specifically larger ones such as guitars or cellos, etc. As you know, we guitar players are a dime a dozen and most of us love to travel, but shudder at the thought of having a baggage handler man handle our precious instrument. Yet, we also don't like the idea of paying for another ticket so our instrument can travel in the seat next to us. And then there's the option of carry-on. So what are we supposed to do? What should we know? I'm hoping you know a fellow traveler who has experience traveling with instruments to help us out. So that's the question from Manny. And the only experience I have with that is when I brought back a guitar from Italy and it, it wasn't even a full size guitar. Like it, it was, it's almost full size and I had a cloth case for it. And what I did was wrap it in scarves actually so that it was nice and packed and I carried it on with me, but that's, and it worked, it was fine, but that's the only experience I have with this. So I'm hoping there's someone out there who has experience, you know, traveling with a musical instrument. And if you have something to add to that, please come on over to the Facebook page and I will make sure that Manny knows that the answer is there. So thank you guys. All right, another one from AJ, and I hope I'm saying your name right. He says, I'm from India. I was wondering if you can find someone who is from a similar country in terms of visa issues. It is difficult to get a work travel visa for people like me. I'm actually looking at the WorkAway website to find an opportunity to volunteer abroad. So I want to know which countries are the easiest to get a visa to volunteer and what kind of visa do I need for that? Also, I'm planning to do some freelance work for my current company after I quit. So does this income create some tax issues or visa issues? This is a really great and complex question. And unfortunately, it's going to be it's going to be different basically for every country. But I do know that I have some listeners who are from India. And so if you guys know anything about this or can help answer these questions that are specific to India, that would be amazing. Come on over to the Facebook group or email me, let me know and we can try and and get this answered for AJ. So I'm going to leave it with those two for now for the for the random Facebook group questions. See if we can get those answered. But I hope that this was helpful for you guys. I'm going to recap all of this with the show notes at thebudgetmindedtraveler.com slash 49. And keep in mind, I will be doing another one of these at some point in the future. So go ahead and keep asking your questions. Come join the Facebook community, the Facebook group at thebudgetmindedtraveler.com slash community. And one more thing. If you guys love the show and you want to support me, please consider leaving a review in iTunes for me if you haven't yet. That would be wonderful. I would super appreciate it. And in a couple of weeks from now, we're starting up our long-term travel series here on the podcast with uh, four different people who travel long-term. So stay tuned for that. And that's it for now. I'll catch you guys next time. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.